Well, hey everyone. Welcome to episode 340 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. This week, I had an absolute blast talking with legendary Florida swamp photographer, Clyde Butcher. Clyde's work from the Everglades is world-renowned, and his name has been mentioned on the show many, many, many times when guests talk about photographers who inspire them. In 2017, Clyde suffered from a stroke. However, he has not let that slow him down one bit. And I'm so thankful that I was able to sit down with him and talk to him about his journey. Before we get going, I have some thank yous that I want to attend to. As you might know, I just got home from hiking 35 days on the Colorado Trail, where I hiked 520 miles and climbed 30 mountains. (laughs) Whew, man. I was able to still release weekly episodes while on trail. Thank you to all the amazing people who stepped up to support the show on Patreon while I was away, including Martin Lawrence, Richard Young, Krista Lappin, Stephen Bay, Kim Harding Christensen, Jeffrey Johnson, Steve Hall, Stuart Thompson, Thomas Friedrich, Laura Gordon, Pamela Sherlock, Amy Aiken, and Ruben Robles. I am just so blown away by the support from this community. You are all just amazing. I don't know what else to say. I'd love to give back, give back more if I could. And one way that I hope to help out is providing you with as many free resources as I can to help you improve your photography. As you may know, I recently became a pro with the Munch Workshops team, and I'm excited to say that there are three great free eBooks that the Munch team has produced for you. One is called The Art of Luminosity, a wonderfully useful 60-page guide written by Mark Munch. This guide will explain different types of light and how to best leverage them in your photographs. If you'd like to check out these free resources, just head over to munchworkshops.com forward slash photography ebooks or find a link in the show notes. They're all fantastic and best of all, they're free. All right. Let's get to this week's episode with Clyde Butcher. All right, Clyde Butcher, it is great to have you on the podcast. Well, thank you. I I see your T-shirt. Are you from Oregon? No, I just taught at a photography conference in Oregon, but I did live there for a couple of years. I live in Colorado. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I I was an artist in residence in Rocky Mountain National Park in 97. That's amazing. That's when I graduated from high school. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) <laughs> Man, I feel like artists in residency at Rocky Mountain National Park would be a dream come true for so many people. Oh, it was. It was the, the house I was staying in. Was uh, what was the guy's name? He was a newspaper editor. Uh, editor. He basically ran politics. He had gotcha. a biography. He had a biography quote that they had done on him in the house. It was really interesting to see. After reading that biography, you wouldn't ever vote for anybody from Kansas. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Well, Clyde. Okay. Uh, yeah, no worries. So for people that haven't heard of you before, which is probably like 15 people, uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you? Right now, I was born in Kansas City, Missouri, and we went up to California when I was a freshman in high school. So I went to school out there and then I went to college at Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo. I'm an architectural graduate. My introduction to photography, I couldn't draw. So what I ended up doing was making architectural models 
and photographing them. And that's how I got really got into photography. Uh, and also, I was I, at 62, I was a sophomore. I was dating my wife in Yosemite when I saw Ansel Adams' work. And, and my, my first th thought when I saw it, this picture of the redwood trees, why would you photograph redwood trees unless the tree was for sale? <laughs> That's I an mean, interesting thought. I was an ar architect. Use those trees for making houses. Right. So I've come away from that since then. And then uh, eventually I had big, a business in California for, so I don't know, 10, quite a few years. Doing, uh, ended up doing uh, clocks, picture clocks. I was the largest clock manufacturer in the United States. Wow. We had 200, I had 200 people making pictures and, and clocks. I was thinking about one of every 10 houses had one of the picture clocks in the United States. Really? Yeah. So I kind of kept my, it kind of was a semi-commercial because pennies would say, well, can you find something with a stream or something like this? And so I would, and this was all color. I started out in black and white. And uh, in school, doing color in the 60s, pretty tough. But I started doing some color probably in my architectural model work in about 66. So I was doing color, color work then. And now in color, I always use color negative film. Mm -hmm. Because I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be, a good, I, how do I say this? I didn't want to be a good photographer. I wanted to be a good artist. Uh, uh huh. And when you shoot transparency, you got to go there. Again, acquire a stop, you know. And color negatives, it's just like black and white. You can underexpose and do a different effect. You can overexpose, do different effects. So you can still, you can actually be similar to black and white with things you can do with negatives. You can't do with transparencies. If you shoot a transparency wrong, it's wrong. I think it was, let's see, uh, 19. 79, uh, I sold the business and came to Florida. Now, when I came, came to Florida, I didn't see anything here to photograph. Right. There was no mountains. You know, right. it was, you know, it was just, it was just out west. I yeah. came here for the... Why Florida? For, Why did you move well, to I Florida? I can't, for the sailing. Oh, okay. <laughs> I raised my kid, kids on a sailboat. Got it. It's sailing out west, not easy. You're talking... No. <laughs> uh, big waves and no anchorages. And it's just, but here in the, the East Coast, a lot of places you can jump out of your boat and walk and set your anchor. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was in Mexico. We had 1,000 feet of anchor line out. And I was in 10 feet of water. Bank was like that. And trying to sail from Puerto Vallarta back to Newport Beach is uphill. It's a rough sail. So... Anyhow, we, I built a boat and bought it here in Florida. And we've been here since full time since night at nineteen eighty. Uh, and I think it was probably in sixteen eighty. I started photographing the beaches because I was shooting color. I went to color in uh, uh, probably in nineteen seventy one or seventy two for sales. Because well, in sixty nine I was trying to sell black and white, and that's that was a tough. In fact, Ansel Adams went to color in 71. But I tell you, his color was really bad. <laughs> well, he was, doing, he was shooting the same way he shot for black and white. It's, right. a different, it's a different animal. It is a different animal, for sure. Yes. In fact, 
I think we should share our little side conversation we had before we hit the record button because you saw my pictures behind me and you said, oh, there's a lot of color. And, and I said, oh, I dabble in black and white. And you said, don't. You should pick one or the other, which I thought was right. a very bold statement. <laughs> did Bruce Baumhaus tell you the same thing? He, Bruce Baumbaum did not tell me the same thing. <laughs> well, in his er earlier interview, he did. Okay. <laughs> and he's probably got criticized for that. It's just a whole different world, shooting black and white color. You have to look for tonality as opposed to complementary right. colors. and So, yeah, there's a difference for sure. I see sunset. Uh, those are both sunrises. Yeah. Well, same thing. <laughs> well, kind of. I mean, getting to the yeah. top of this mountain before sunrise is pretty challenging. Oh, yeah. we always, I have to get places in Everglades before sunrise. Yeah. I have to walk through the swamp for a couple hours to get right. there. Probably more dangerous. Uh, probably. <laughs> uh, but, you know, back in, in Colorado, you got mountain lions, you got elk, yeah, you got bias, bison. Yeah, uh, I think I'd rather deal with those than, than gators. <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you, I'll pick a gator any day. All right, all right. I've been, I've been charged by elk. Yeah, they can be pretty, yeah, they can be pretty scary, but the real one you got to watch out for is the moose. Yeah. Yeah, I that I had problems with in Tetons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I get charged is because it was rut rutting season in Colorado. I was when I was RSU residence, like about National Park. Right. And this guy was he had to be hundred yards, maybe two hundred yards away. I was set up in an open prairie, and he spied some aspen, and had the tripod on the camera, and, and maybe he thought I was a an animal of some sort with the legs and everything. But he came charging down to me. When he got to about eight, ten feet from me, I took my tripod. I was going to hit him over the head with the, You can't outrun him. <laughs> but he, he turned about four feet away. That was pretty scary. Oh, man. Yeah, but, but you got the shot, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> good, good, good. But taking, uh, I wasn't shooting him, though. I was shooting the Aspen. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I tried to photograph a buffalo with an 8 by 10 camera. That was hysterical. Right. Nothing's in focus. <laughs> well, you get in focus, then you move, and, you know, it's just, you start fighting. And, right. Yeah, that's, that's pretty difficult. Yeah, but yeah. Anyhow, in Florida, you got gators, water moccasins. We got, we got, uh, we got deer. I almost got hit by a deer here in Florida. Uh, he was charged to the swamp and dismissed me. But I'll, I'll take the gators over out west stuff. Well, maybe that's a maybe that's a great segue for one of the questions I'd planned on asking you. Um, I'm really curious what kind of measures you take to ensure your safety and your equipment safety when you're out photographing in the swamps. I don't worry about it. That's uh, how you take <laughs> care of it. No, you real. I'm serious. If you're not even thinking about it, I don't think we care. I think every these animals can sense your if you were worried. I've only had one, two occasions I've had to hit, hit a gator in the nose. That's how you, you, you charge you. You have to just bop him in the nose. No take out. <laughs> what do you hit him with? Well, either, either a tripod or your fist. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So you just, you just box with him, huh? You're like, back, yeah, get back. Yeah. yeah, well, you hit him right on the nose. That's the most sensitive spot. Huh. Kind of like a shark, I guess. Gotcha. So you've never had any other close encounters with him in terms of like no, trying to take I, your leg I, or anything? <laughs> I got hit by a water moccasin. Yeah. I was going to photograph the ghost orchid. 
in the in the in the swamp, there's so much contrast for black and white. You have to hit if the photograph just just before sunrise, so you have this you know right. even light. Yeah, super even. Yeah, super right. easy to process. Yeah. Right. So I was living at the gallery at that time. We we built the gallery in Big Cypress in '93, uh, but we I was not, this was in 1999. So I went to get it in the car at 4.30 in the morning without a flashlight. I stepped on him. And uh, so I say, yeah, I get in my car and I got stepped on a water bucket and never got bit out in the swamp. <laughs> I was getting into my car. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Well, it, it didn't hurt too bad. It's amazing how hard they are hit. It's like a hammer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was, that was, that was probably the most exciting thing. I'll, I'll let you handle that because I had... I do not like poisonous snakes, and I definitely do not like things with sharp teeth. <laughs> well, you got you got rattlesnakes out there. We do have rattlesnakes. I've had a few close encounters with them. Yeah. 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 But um, not not at a real high altitude, though. No, mostly know. mostly when I go out into the desert, like in Utah. Yeah. California deserts. Yeah. yeah there's a lot just, of nasty. There's a lot of nasty stuff out in California deserts. You know, the worst is uh, Australia. Basically everything in Australia can kill you. <laughs> you, can, you can have it in Australia. Florida is much more exciting to photograph. Yeah, yeah. So much here to photograph. I don't need to go to anywhere. Right. Well, let's let's talk about that. What what draws you to photograph in the Everglades? What what makes them so special? Well, uh, we were going to an art show up in Winter Park and up on the midst of the state, and there was a, there was a, a little curio. You know, people sell little plastic gators and, you know, what tourist stuff. And my wife wanted to stop. And I was saying, ah, oh, I don't want to stop. That's kind of boring. So finally, she made me stop. There was a sign out there on the road. If you, if you won't stop, take your shoe off and hit him in the head with your wife, you know. <laughs> so uh, we were there. Uh, I was talking to Tom. And uh, Nicky was having a good time. And, and he could tell I was having pretty bored. And he says, oh, we have a boardwalk in back. He says, you might enjoy that. And because I had never got off the, I'd never gotten out in the woods before because of all the snakes and gators and all that stuff you hear about. This boardwalk took me into the heart of the of Everglades. Now, but it was a, it was a boardwalk this wide. It wasn't handicap accessible. <laughs> right. Like two feet wide. It was a boardwalk. Yeah, yeah. They, were, they were like nailed the trees. And, right. Yeah, it was pretty. But it, but I got me out there, and it reminded me a lot of the redwood forest. Mm-hmm. Real similar to the redwood forest. And it just turned me on. And the same same week I was going, the same week I was going to a camera store in Fort Myers, and, and the owner was looking at some slides. I was looking over his shoulder, and I said, you just get back from Africa? Uh, no, where's where that? Is this down the street? <laughs> uh, so I said, can you take me there someday? Well, I'd see it. He says, how about right now? So he put me in his truck and off we went to uh, Big Cypress. I've never have gotten out since. So what is your he, what is your favorite part about photographing in the swamps? It's primeval. Yes. It's primeval. It's, it's a living machine. I mean, out west there's a lot of rocks, 
Who wants to photograph rocks? <laughs> what do they do? They just sit there year after year. I go back to Yosemite every other once in a while. Half of them are still sitting there. Right. You know? So, no, it's such, and it's always changing. I go to the same place every year. It's different because of the weather. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes you have a hurricane, the whole island disappears. And sometimes the whole shore, the whole thing keeps changing. It's kind of fun. So you, you can, of course, if you go back to the spot you wanted to go back to, and it's gone. It's kind of frustrating. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. So it's just I mean, there's so many different things here to photograph, but you have to get into it. Though you can't uh, you can't shoot it from your car. Well, let, let's talk about some of the more technical aspects of, of photographing in the swamp. You know, in terms of uh, composition, I'm sure that photographing in the swamps is quite challenging you know you've got all of this chaos all this moss and just this stuff everywhere what what are your tricks for organizing the chaos of the swamp to make a pleasing composition the idea that is the idea is making uh simplicity simplicity out of the chaos because when you when you have chaos which re, which is same as out west or new england usually if it's really chaos that means it's probably pretty much primeval, natural. If it's not chaos, it's probably man's probably screwed it up. Basically, everything I do is point and shoot. If that makes any sense. Yeah, tell, tell us what you mean by that. Well, I see something that's interesting. I sit the camera up and shoot it. Shoot it. I mean, so it's it's uh, mostly intuition. It's, it's all, all, all up to intuition. Mm -hmm. One of the tricks is, too, is wide angle. You can't use long lenses in the swamp. Is that therefore? See, with wide angle, you you can actually uh, separate a, su a, su a subject. With long lenses, you can't separate. Does that make any sense? It does. I have a friend of mine, David Thompson, who shoots a lot with a seventy to two hundred in the swamp, and he makes some pretty gorgeous images. But I can see where that well, would be very. Well, those are pictures of things, oh. not feel, not feelings of things. Interesting. That's what I have to, uh, if you relate it to 35 millimeter, I shoot between 10 millimeter and 20. Uh-huh. Most, most of it's 15 to 8, 17. Now, what about when you were capturing images in large format? Because I'm guessing it was a little bit longer okay. when you were using that. Well, you have to, yeah. On 8 by 10, I had uh, my two main lenses, well, three lenses. Uh, the one was 90 millimeter. Right. Uh, that was an XL, which, which is, you get like a 6 by 10 image. Then the next one was a, a 120 Nikkor. And then the next one was a 150 uh, Super Angulon. And the other things I shot out west, I, I did a little bit with the 4, 420, some of the 210. But well, even out west, my, my favorite is wide angle. Even even out west, uh, looks like you're using some pretty wide angle there. Um, actually, that was like 45, and that was probably that was like 100. Yeah, the one the one you said 45. For most people out west, that's 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 a short lens. Yeah, I don't know. I I tend to I tend to shoot closer to. 100 to 400 a lot more, but, you know, depends on the scene. Yeah. But, you know, to, to get people into the swamp, 
it's very intimate. And if you have too much distances, you can't get involved. One of the problems with film, when you're photographing inside the swamp, your exposures run from about one minute to 10 minutes. Right. So that means nothing can move for 10 minutes. Right. It's, it's a little bit of a difficulty. Right. But with the digital, you can talk a 30th of a second, 60th of a second, you know, it's a whole different world, mm -hmm. which has been fun because like outdoors in large format, uh, bright sun is one second. That's, right. one, that's bright, bright sun. Right, and you're like F64 or something? <laughs> well, either 45 or 64. Yeah. But how a lot of stuff you can shoot at 45. Right. Uh, I've shot maybe three or four pictures over the years with 22. Yeah, right. Uh, but, but 32, but, but basically 45 is my standard F style. Um, for some reasons, it's a little different in large format. With the way the large format lenses are designed, they're designed for F22. Hmm. That's the sharpest. When you get down smaller, it gets, well, you can't get anything in focus. It gets smaller. I mean, I mean smaller like, you know, F8 or. Right. You can't. You know. Yeah, your, your depth of field is so shallow. Zero, yeah. 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 So, but with the digital cameras, uh, Use 17 millimeter lens with it, it, f16, everything is in focus, right? Yeah, you know, and that's really nice. Now, what I've been doing lately, though, is made it more difficult. I took my, my Fuji and had it converted to black and white, so now I've got to add a filter and kill a couple of f stops, right? So I'm going, going back to large, longer exposures with the black and white, but. I don't think people understand. Like you've got some blue skies there in your your pictures. Only one fourth of the of the pixels are in that sky. Mm -hmm. Right. Blue is twenty five percent. So with mine, it's a hundred percent. Right. So my skies are much more even. The you can't even you can't even really screw up or get noise. In black and white, it's hard to get noise. Right. Not, not black and white. And a color camera, with black and white, and you have the camera converted. It's a whole. People think, oh, it's just you just convert your color. No, <laughs> I'm shooting black and white. Yeah, I and suppose that helps a lot in terms of pre-visualization as well. Well, it's also it's it's, it's got sharper pictures, and it looks more like film. Right. Yeah. Now all the lenses I use now. I do not know how to use a, a, a modern lens. I can't, I don't know how to focus with autofocus. That sounds strange. So all the lenses I have, have you know, your f-stop and put the f-16 on whatever you want. It's, you focus by range. Mm -hmm. right. You don't focus by, I never focus with a camera. So everything I use, most of everything, every lens I have is a sh uh, tilt shift lens. Yeah, I was gonna, shift. I was gonna ask you about tilt shift because I understand you're using a lot of that in your work now, and I'd yeah. be curious to hear you talk a little bit about how you're using tilt shift in your work. Oh, it's it's really exciting. <laughs> uh, you got one lens. I think it becomes you can four or five lenses because okay. You have the 17, and then when you shift to 
right and left, it becomes a, a 13. Right. And then you take a camera and keep the camera horizontal, but shift up and down. Right. So, and then you can you can actually use it without a shift. So you really you can really uh, kind of fit the scene. It's really easier to. Yeah, and the uh, and the, the the stitches are so clean. I mean, I'm I'm guessing oh. you're using the Canon 17f4. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then you're just and then F F22 though. Right, right. No, F F16, not F22. Yeah, F16. That one, that 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 one's pretty sharp. I have. I have the 17, the 24, yeah, uh, the 50, the uh, eight, uh, 90, and the 135. Yeah. Then I have a, a Pentex 645 lenses work pretty good. And are you converting those onto a Sony back or to your Fuji? Uh, well, I, for both. Oh, okay. Uh, actually, the Sony is more usable than, than the Fuji. Gotcha. Because I, when, when I do my, because uh, now I also have devised ways to do a double shift. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, because so. you can rotate the lens and then shift up and down, rotate the lens again, shift left and right. No, you don't, you don't rotate the lens. There's you a shift on the lens and there's a shift on the adapter. Right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So what a, what to, adapter are you using? Metabone. Okay. For the Canon lenses, yep, and all the other ones are like just cheap, cheap, cheap things. Oh, it's gone. Sorry, I had to get mine because I've got the Metabones, and this is the uh, the ninety Nine. Canon. Yeah, Nine. Yeah, yeah. I've got the the, 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 the I got the old ninety. Right, this is the old one as well. I, I, I saw it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's pretty sharp. It's not bad. Yeah, it's pretty sharp. Yeah. Uh, but the the new uh, fifty is spot on, boy. It's it's sharp, and they have a, a one thirty five now, which right. is really sharp. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. So, are you doing any uh, creative work in terms of tilting and using the d oh, depth okay. of field, or what? What's well, depth of field is basically all I'm using because in in, in short lenses. Uh, well, for one thing, if you have any vertical close to the camera, you can't use a, a tilt. Right. Because the top will be out of focus, the bottom will be out of focus. Right. <laughs> but if you have an open field, you really get some good stuff with the, with the, with the tilt. Right. How, how far out? Like with a 15 or a 17? Well, you mean the tilt? Yeah, yeah. Like how far out should the subject be before, in order to maximize oh. that? Well, you could. I photographed uh, flowers probably two feet from them. Yep. To infinity. Yeah. In focus. In focus. Right. At, at f4. Right. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because I don't think a lot of people have messed around with it, but basically, you know, you're taking the lens and you're changing the plane of focus right. so that it's tilted. Well, the ninety is really important. Yeah. You know, like some of the shots you have there with the balance. That's, that will really work nice. But I don't think, I don't understand that how you can be a landscape photographer without a shil tilt and shift lens. Yeah. Well, they're rare. Like, they're, you know, Sony doesn't even have any native uh, I don't. Shift. I don't own, I do not own a Sony or a Fuji lens. 
<laughs> they don't That's make awesome. any lenses for, for me. Right, know? right, yeah. You know, well, you can switch got, over to Nikon. <laughs> those are terrible. You can't get those are terrible converts. God, uh, shots fired. Nikon's Nikon. You can use the old Nikon lenses, but the new ones you can't even use. Right. Yeah. No, the nineteen, I... the nineteen millimeter. The only way to use that is with tilt and shift nineteen. You've got to get a Nikon camera. Get the whatever f-stop you want. And you turn the camera off. Tilt. Take it off. And hopefully it'll stay at sixteen. And then you put it on your your camera. So you got to have a camera to adapt the f-stop. Right. So that's kind of nuisance. Totally. Yeah. Well, but, we could uh, probably talk about gear for like six hours, but I want to dive oh, yeah. into some meteor subjects. So getting back to Florida and all that, I'm curious in your long time of photographing there, what changes have you seen in Southwest Florida over your time photographing it? Uh, well, actually, uh, we've got some areas that they've restored, uh, mainly restoring the water. But the weather is like right now, last year, last two years, we had bad hurricanes. Not this year, but last year we had one that went up, started from the coast, went up the middle of the state. I had a whole thing planned. Everything was wiped out. Oh, wow. They just wiped out. Because my work, you need texture in the leaves and you need to have, you know, happy plants. Plants weren't happy. Yeah, right. They were all pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> so there's uh, areas, there's so many. Uh, there's the springs now. I'm shooting the springs. Some of the rivers, uh, some of the rivers are gorgeous. Uh, there's one river called the, the Santa Fe where it meets the Swanee. And I've measured cypress trees 53 feet in circumference. Wow. They're like probably a thousand years old. Yeah. And there's five or six miles of straight. Uh, of course, a lot of the streets have gotten cut down. Hmm. They make really good houses. Oh, that's too bad, yeah. yeah. Well, actually, during World War II, they were using the Cypress for uh, uh, the decks on, on their aircraft carriers. Interesting. Yeah. Is that just then, because it's so hard? or? Yeah. They hmm. have resistance to rot. Oh, right. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they live in water. <laughs> right. They're pretty good at that, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Florida is very, if you want to do sunsets, there's some gorgeous sunsets here. Right. Uh, no, I feel like, I feel like I would be like you. I'd be attracted to the swamps. Yeah. It's, you just feel like it's the beginning of time. Right. All right. Prehistoric. Uh, it really is. Uh, then the different times of the years, there's different times that orchids out or some you know, neat stuff. And I've done some bird photography, but usually usually from my house. Our house and behind the gallery, the house is exactly in the center of the Everglades. So out, out the front porch, uh, it's like a uh, IMAX theater. And... Uh, Two stories. On well, the second story, I have my I have a Pentax six seven camera with a twelve hundred millimeter. So I have it set up on the porch, and it's air conditioned. So when I see some neat birds, I just go up to the porch, open the window up, and uh, that's my bird photography. Nice. So oh, I'm curious. I have a another 
question for you about the swamps. It probably doesn't affect your work as much because of shooting in black and white, but I'm curious, how do, how do seasonal changes in terms of fall, winter, spring, summer if, affect the character of the swamp? Oh, it's, it's tremendous change. Uh, fall starts in September, and then, of course, spring starts in March. People coming out of the gallery from up up north, they say, oh, the whole forest dies? The trees are all, there's no leaves in the trees, they're all dead. And I say to them, well, how, how are your trees doing in Ohio right now? <laughs> right. They, because it's warm, they don't figure the leaves should fall, they, the needles fall. And okay. the, cypress trees, the cypress trees are kind of interesting, too. There's male and female trees. Oh. One of them has the uh, stamen and the other has the, the egg. Huh. You have to have trees to mate. I did not know that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's you learn more and more as you get by. The fellow that I met there in Fort Myers, his name is Oscar Thompson. He's a uh, fifth generation, and he used to live with the Indians. He really introduced me to the Florida, and he told me, he told me where to look out for gators, where to look out for snakes. And so that's a help if you understand where you don't want to go, or if you do go there, where you should be very aware. Right, get your boxing gloves ready. Yeah, well, like the first, you're walking into the swamp, the first four, five or six feet is, is, is most dangerous. Gotcha. That's where the cock water moccasins are really trying to eat uh, frogs, raccoons. You know, they try on the shores where the, their food is. Mm -hmm. You're out in deep water, there's, no, there's, no, there's nothing there to eat. So are you doing photography out on a boat then? More, yeah, some some boat, but Chris, when I was doing my 8x10, I was out in a boat, but to take a picture, I had to get out of the boat, put the tripod down. Right. <laughs> so basically, when I was shooting film, everything was in the water. Hmm. I might use right. a boat to get, get somewhere, but you have to get out of the boat. Yeah, and your tripod is down in the water. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So you had to have really long legs, I'm assuming? No, no, a lot of them. It's only, let me... You know, three or four feet deep. Okay. But unless it's mud. Right. There's a trick for mud, uh, which a lot of people don't like to do. But the only way you can shoot in mud in a large, for large format is to float in the water during the exposure. Hmm. You have to swim up to the camera, turn it on, and you count to your four or five minutes. And you swim up to the camera, turn it off. Because if you stay in the water, in mud, that you cannot stay still for that uh. long time. Right, and then it uh, moves and the tripod, and yeah. Well, there's also wigs, limbs, and uh, you ever try still still for four minutes? Not yeah, it's, muscle? it's impossible. <laughs> not, not, yeah, not, you're going away from your left foot to the right, you, you can't be done. I tried this shot behind the gallery uh, when I first started living there, and for two weeks I would out there every day trying to take a picture. And uh, every time the camera would move during the exposure, I took out concrete blocks and took them on the thing. I did everything you could think of. And finally, I decided, well, you know, I'll try this. So I, I like swam, I floated in the water because I didn't touch the water. And it came out perfect. So, that, so that's, I've become kind of an expert on different kinds of muds in Florida. Got it. Like in, the, in the Keys, the mud's kind of like uh, wet concrete. And they ever, well, in Big Cypress, <clears throat> usually I have mud for most of the time from like two inches to four or five inches. Then you get into the, the cypress domes, you can have 
six six seven feet of mud. Oh so there's no gosh. there's no way no way you hit the bottom of the tripod. So therefore you have to slip, you have to float in the water to take a picture. Yeah. You know you, you have to adapt. That's why digital is so fun. Right, because you can use your shutter speed and yeah. Right, because you're not shooting f45. Right. Shooting f f11. Well, it's some wide angle lenses. Shooting an f8. Oof. Right. God. Yeah. Ever heard of f8? I might. <laughs> yeah, let's, yeah. My my large format lenses, the largest f stop is f56. Right. And you never never shoot less than 22, mostly 45. Yeah. But f8, no. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Well, yeah. I want to ask you some more personal questions about your photography. I'm curious what your intent is with your photography and what do you hope that it accomplishes? Well, the reason I'm using the kind of lenses I'm using to do what I'm doing is give you a feeling of Florida. Because most people, okay, I've taken photographs with people with me. And when I show them a print, they will swear they weren't there. So I've learned to get able to get people draw into the photographs. So they almost feel like they're in the mud, they're in the water. If you can't really feel a spot, I don't think you can relate to it. That's, and that's where out, out west I use a lot of wide angle because I want to get that same feeling. Mm -hmm. I want to feel that people feel like they're there. It's, it's done a lot of, uh, a lot of politics has been difficult. It's done a lot of good, good. My photography said a lot of good because I work. This is something that people, other photographers don't particularly care for. When I work for the government, the state, environmental groups, I don't charge them for anything. And I just feel it's my contribution to taxes. Sure. Uh, because you can do a lot more if you don't have to write a PO. Right. Yeah. You have a little bit more artistic freedom because it's. Yeah, if it's bad, that's too tough. Right. Sorry, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, and also I think I've done I've done one project that they paid for my expenses, and it was very nerve wracking. Oh yeah, it can be. Yeah, but it came out well. It's a I did a, a whole uh, series for uh, the Dali Museum in Spain, and to show where he works where he got his inspiration from. I had to fill a 9,000-foot museum, barefoot museum. I had nine days. Oh, wow. Fill 5,000 square feet. That's a lot. Yeah, but it came out good. So you, so going back to what you said, you said you want to instill a feeling through your photographs. I think most people can understand the why behind that, but maybe you can talk about the how. Well, how is you have to be able to hit people in the photograph. And, okay. Not literally. Well, kind of literally. But, I mean, you're not putting models in your scenes. No, no. But, right. okay, the main pictures I have for the museums are eight foot long. Uh-huh. Okay. And if to get the, okay, why do you think I make them big? Why do you think? Uh, because it's so much more immersive. Well, I make them big so you can't see them. Does that make any sense? It kind of, yeah, I mean, I get it. Like, there's no yeah. end to it. Well, you, uh, the angle, people don't understand the angle of view you see. Your eyes, four degrees. You perceive maybe 180 degrees. 
you know, it's C4. Uh-huh. So to experience a photograph, you have to scan it. Right. And that gives you the feeling. That's where you, when you're driving a car, you're scanning all the time because otherwise you're not going to survive. What about in terms of the image capture process itself? What are, how, how can you instill feeling through that? Well, most of the time you have to have a, a way of walking first to walk a person through the picture. Most of my successful pictures, really, there's no, uh, in the center of this picture, there's nothing. Hmm. You know, most people are trying to take a picture of something. I'm trying to take a picture of feeling. Hmm. And most of the time, the successful ones have no center, center subject at all. So you're using a lot of negative space in the center? I'm using, you know, trees, bushes, plants to walk you through the mm -hmm. picture. You've got different levels. And I think that's how, that's how I do it. Because if I look at it, if I feel happy about where I'm standing, I set my tripod down, put the camera down, and focus. I do not use the camera for composition. I use the camera to take a picture. I do the composition here. And there's one little trick that people don't realize. You have to, if you're going to start doing it without using the camera, you got to get ready to take a picture. You got to close one eye. You can't look with both eyes because that gives you three dimensions. Right. And you're working on a two dimensional plane. So you got to put your brain on a two dimensional plane. That's, that's kind of a trick, too. It's you know, that the two dimensional plane. Right. Well, and through the composition, you're then creating that three dimensionality. Correct. Yeah. Right. 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 And that has so, to do, I'm guessing for you, as it is for me, a lot of that has to do with where you place different objects within the scene to help create that sense of depth. Right. It, to me, it, it, it feels right or wrong. Now, if you take more than probably two pictures a day, you're not doing well. If you can get two pictures a day, you're doing a hell of a job. Well, not everyone's a, not everyone's as good as others. Let's just say that. Well, you if you you've got to learn how to see, and you just get shot and shoot. For sure, for sure. So, because uh, in, in the swamp, you're working with all kinds of, Florida, you're working with all kinds of different problems. Right. Uh, so you'll see a scene that's got all kinds of, all kinds of options. So you got to find the right one. Right. And occasionally I've had good days. I had, uh, uh, usually out west, I can find more shots quicker. Badlands. Badlands. I had a fantastic, the weather was just absolutely terrible. It's great. Yeah, perfect. Uh, yeah, I got twenty-two shots in two days. See, it it can be done with film. All right. Yeah. You just don't get a day that's just outrageous. Right. Yeah. No, it's it's not common. I agree with that. I had well, I've had another day. Boxing actually River. I got I think twelve shots in, in, in a day. Yeah. And those were all six-minute exposures. Right. I mean, I feel when I'm on my trips, I feel like if I can get one or two images a day, I feel pretty good about that. So. Well, you, you can shoot a bunch of images, but are they good? Yeah. No, for yeah. sure. I mean good ones. If you can get one good image. Yeah. Then you're doing great. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, Two is lucky. Yeah. 
Well, Clyde, so I put it out there to our listeners. Um, they All of my listeners had some questions for you. Sure. So I, I'm going to kick it off. So one of our listeners, Barbara Laverie, she's also a Florida resident. She would love to know um, what you think we photographers can do to further conservation and environmental causes, such as water quality issues in Lake Okeechobee. I don't know if I said that right. Um, yeah, that's or, pretty close. <laughs> or the Send It South campaign for the Everglades. Well, one of the things you, like I was saying before, you do you get together with Sierra Club or Audubon, find out what projects they're working on. And you work with them, and you don't charge them. There you go. Because they're environmental organizations; they don't got any money. You know, they're fighting the battle against uh, corporations. So you got to work with them. That's 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 what I have done. Just, what, what, what are you working on? What are you trying to do? Yeah. How can I fit into this puzzle? Right. Right. Yeah. You have to. You can't wait for them to approach you. And why do you think? That is important for landscape photographers to think about. Well, how, how, what kind of tools are these organizations going to be able to use to, to get somebody to think, oh, this is, this is worth saving? You know, I mean, like, like right now, one of the main problems is global warming. One of the problems with global warming, like we had smog problems in L.A. It was easy to fight smog because you could see it. Right. You can't see carbon dioxide. Right. So it's a hard project. That's a hard project to work on to convince people that uh, unless you go to a, a forest uh, in Idaho that's all been chewed up by by bugs, right? It's too hot. Yeah, beetle kill. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I that's just been really. I, I was up in, in uh, Idaho, whole forests are just beetled up. Yeah, it's pretty bad here in Colorado too. Well, and that's that's hurting global warming because those trees have been taking out the carbon dioxide. Right, they're no longer sequestering CO two. Yeah, yeah, they're dead. Now they're not doing anything. They're doing the opposite, creating methane. Right, because they're decaying. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that so it's basically you have to think about what needs to be said. Okay, I had another question for you. So. Likewise, how do you feel about the political and social climate as it exists today relating to photography and conservation efforts, specifically perhaps at the state level there in Florida? Well, <laughs> <laughs> well we have probably the we have a really rough time here in Florida right now, but this this Santos is absolutely insane. Well, you got you just had like half of our listeners have have like already thrown something uh, at the screen or whatever. So, <laughs> no, I'm well, just kidding. I'm just trying to prov- I'm just no, trying to provide some levity because politics well, are never what people want to hear about. But I can get us back on track. So, because um, okay. my understanding is that the political environment in Florida is not super favorable for environmental issues. And I'm just curious kind of what you feel like could be some solutions if you're a photographer who's frustrated by that. The only solution is for uh, good people with politics, political. Uh, I've had uh, environmental uh, colleges, students come to the gallery, they get they walks to the swamp. And when they get to walk through the swamp, these guys are, are 
taking environmental courses. Mm-hmm. And we asked him, how, how many of you want to run for, for office? No, I can never do that. Right. So how are you going to fix your environment if you have dummies running for office? That's tough. That's tough. You know, so, and run for office today is really bad because they just put you down. Oh, yeah, you, you get run through there's the no, mud for sure. There's no, there's no sanity right now in, in running for office. Right, they they take they take the the candidate and they put him in that four foot deep Florida mud. <laughs> well, Florida is bad. I hope other states are doing better than we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's like a roller coaster right now. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, I have a couple more listener questions for you. Okay. Okay. Uh, Mark Munch uh, would like to know. How your transition from large format 8x10s to mirrorless cameras went. Specifically, what do you enjoy about each style of image capture? Well, it, well, it went really well because of the tilt and shift lenses. Okay. I can use do the same thing in my digital world I did in my, my camera world, film. And would, would you say that the... The tilt shift lenses, to some degree, help to emulate some of the camera movements you could do with bellows and whatnot. Okay, you're taught in large format photography, the camera back, not the front, the back, yeah. so it has to be perfectly level in both directions. Right, right, right. No tilt up, no tilt down. Right. How are you gonna do that with a normal lens? Right. You have you're to not. have to be a landscape photographer. You have to use tilt shift lenses. Period. That's just my my. I think you I know you correct it in Photoshop. It doesn't look right. Um, Shot shots fired, Clyde. Because I bet about ninety five percent of the people listening are like, I've never even used the tilt shift lens. Maybe I know because, like Sony doesn't want to make them because it's expensive to make them. Yeah. And they said, well, I guess Canon's got it covered, you know. So, like Fuji wanted me to. Uh, do some work with them to both their camera. And I said, okay, well, uh, you got to give me some of your tilt and shift lenses so I can <laughs> use that. They're like, what's well, we that? We don't have those. <laughs> we don't have any of those. Right. I said, well, I'll use my Canon lenses. If you want me to use it. I'll use the Fuji, but I'll use Canon lenses. Right. And then they're like, oh, never mind. <laughs> last, last time they called me. <laughs> right. No, they're, I mean, I can see what you're saying because there's just certain things you can do with a tilt shift that are just not possible otherwise. You just try to take a picture without tilting your camera. Right. Ever tilting your camera. How many pictures can you take that way? Right. The rising right in the center. Right. Yeah. Okay? It's, it's a whole different ballgame for sure. If you're going to do like a, a real photographer, you've got to have that camera level. No, it's always interesting because I think we're always informed by our past, right? So most people listening probably started digital and never even had access to tilt shift lenses. Oh no. They never never know what film is. Right. Right. So yeah. they didn't they've never known the difference. You know? But it's interesting with the digital you can do a lot of things you can't do. I mean and vice versa. Right. Like one of the first really good techniques with film, you have a long exposure. You have what's called what's failure. Yep. 
and you get a whole different light on a negative. It's mm -hmm. just beautiful. It, you lose f-stops, but the results you get are you just can't get with digital. Mm -hmm. the, the, the digital is a straight line. Right. Linear. Or film has a curve at the bottom and a curve at the top. Right. So you can play with the highlights and the shadows, uh, which you you can play with the highlights and shadows in Photoshop, but you can't play it with on taking the picture. Right. Right. Yeah. Does that makes any sense. It does. It does. All right. I have another listener question for you. So uh, my friend Wayne Suggs um, refers to you as a master of photography and and his thing right now is he feels like a lot of the new photographers just have no idea about you or other kind of quote-unquote great photographers that kind of came before us uh what do you think upcoming photo photographers can do to learn from the masters and what benefits can it bring to our individual craft how about reading reading researching go back and, and find out how asked he has three books, uh, one on the camera, one on the negative, one on the darker. You see, and it, you can apply that information to digital. Yeah. So I think people just have to try to, well, it would be good if they tried to do film. Why? Well, Why? Why? Well, it's just slower. Yeah. Okay. You got to take a picture. You got to load the film, particularly in large format. Like, when I was just shooting uh, a, a day of shooting, you have to spend two hours at night unloading and loading the film. So when you have to develop the film, then you have to make proofs. So you're really concerned when you shoot one shot, you're saying, I've got a lot of work to do with that one shot. Do I just frivolously, frivolously take a picture? Right. It Forces you to really, really, really hone in on the, the smaller details and make well, sure that everything is dialed in perfectly. An eight by ten, it's ten dollars for a sheet of film, and ten dollars to have it processed. That's just money. Every shots. <laughs> every shot's twenty bucks. Right. <laughs> so you want to make sure that you do it right. Yeah. 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 So that's an incentive to not just go. Like if you shoot thirty-six exposures. That's seven hundred twenty dollars. Right. Yeah, it's it's no laughing matter for sure. No. Well, I shot. I went. I did a trip across the country in three months. I shot seventeen hundred sheets of film. It was twenty five thousand dollars in film. Yeah. That's a like a car. Shoot, yeah. Well, yeah. A lot of people shoot seventeen hundred shots a day. Uh huh. Took me three months to do that. Yeah. That's a yeah. lot. I shot a lot. Right. It's a lot of shooting. And what, what percentage of that do you think were keepers? Well, it's, that's a relevant question. Which ones that I, I were bad I couldn't use? Maybe 10%. Oh, okay. Uh, but what I've used some of it, probably out of the 1,700 shots, probably 30 maybe. 30 total? That I actually used. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That sounds about right. I think that's my hit ratio. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you hear, hear, do you hear the thunder in the like? Yeah, I was wondering if that was thunder. Yeah. Oh yeah. We're Florida. <laughs> right. So it's basically all the time, right? Well, that's that's what I love in summertime. 
See, one of the problems that people have when they come to shoot, shoot in Florida, they come in the cool months in winter. It's it's not pretty. You got to come in the summer when it's hot, rainy. Right. There's sweat dripping off of everything. Right. right. <laughs> I mean, I, I was one shot of ghost circuit I did. My glasses were fogging up. My my loop was fogging up. My ground glass was fogging up. The lens was fogging up. Uh, just trying to get all that. I mean, it was it was just stuff where you should be eighty percent of the humidity. No doubt, no doubt. And uh, it's ninety degrees. Do you ever but use anything to reduce the condensation? I never have. I probably should, should but it's a little scary. Right, put right. Stuff, put your stuff on your lenses. I know. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. I'll just wipe it off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, Clyde, I got one more question for you. Who are a few photographers that you would recommend that we learn more about? Well, uh, one that you apparently had to talk with last week. Was Bruce Barnbaum. Yeah, Barnbaum, yeah. Uh, sec, uh, John Sexton. Uh-huh. Uh, of course, Ansel Adams. And a real sleeper is with, No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, one of the sleepers that a lot of people don't know about is Wynn Bullock. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, he's, he was, for the time he was photographing, he was pretty, he was pretty far out. But there's a, there's a lot of, just go, go on the internet, put in black and white photographers and black and white photography. Maybe you'll get something close. But, uh, the old guys, like Ansel Adams has those three books, how to use the camera, how to use, how, how, how to process film, how to make prints. And, they, and that yeah, basically, Using the same concept as, as Photoshop. Yes. I developed my Photoshop techniques exactly like I can do with a film. film. And my, if, you, if you do things like Scott Kelby, you're in trouble. <laughs> he's, he's, he's too accurate. Huh. You can, if you, Photoshop, I think one of the problems with Photoshop is you're, you're too accurate. Huh. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that before. Well, it is because in, in in film photography, you burn and dodging. You're using your hands, uh-huh. you know, like this. Right, right. Burn something. How 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 accurate is that? Not super. Not super accurate. Right. And so you can use Photoshop in the same way. I've developed my own. I I only use like three tools. Yeah. One of the main tools I use is people don't use the eraser. Right. The other one's history brush. Yeah, yeah. And the other one is gradients. Yeah, yeah. That's, those, those. Uh, yeah, I don't count the histogram. That's not a tool. It's just a. Yeah, it's the visual display of data. Right. Like for instance, when you use a, use a uh, gradient, gradient, you can use it just like in the darkroom because you can control the contrast and such in that gradient. Not just a gradient, but you can control the contrast in the gradient. For sure. Yeah. So I think that's, there's all kinds of little simple things that make it, uh, I can usually do a picture. If, you, if it takes you more than five or six minutes to do a picture, you're doing something wrong. <laughs> so what I do is I start it, if it takes me more, if I get into 10 minutes, I just show her away, show her over. People are, they want to keep, they want to keep all their layers. Yeah, I hear you. I think I, most I ever have at one time is two. Yeah, 
I typically don't have a lot myself, but I like to keep it simple. Yeah, and, and it's it is simple. And that's I, I call mine uh, my my Photoshop for idiots. You know, it's so <laughs> simple. Yeah, no, it makes it more enjoyable. I think too. Well, but I think, some people really like it. You know, why are we doing our Photoshop? We're gonna put it up soon. I can send it a link when it's on. Okay. I'll put it on YouTube. We're we're putting our Photoshop uh, techniques on YouTube pretty soon. Okay, cool. All so, right, we'll check uh, it out. We used to sell a DVD. We said, that is the other way. Perfect. Uh, so many people say, I can capture it in the camera. That's bullshit. You cannot capture it in the camera. Tell me one photographer that's a successful, great photographer that's just do burning and dodging. Right, doesn't do any editing. I don't think yeah. I can think of a single one, but that's me. I have one picture. That I have, to, all I have to do is get the uh, exposure. That's no, there's, no, there's no, there's no burning and dodging. Right. Yeah, one out of yeah. sixty years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we'll, we'll be sure to put put that uh, link in the show notes when you send it over. But um, Clyde, this has been super fun, and I've had a really great time catch listening to you and learning about your your journey. So thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to do this. Well, thank you to Clyde and his great team, including Paul Tilton, who helped to make this conversation a reality. Special thanks to listener Steve Rosendahl, who helped tremendously by linking me with Clyde's team to make this possible. I'm also very glad that we were able to get this episode recorded because Clyde is such a legend. I encourage you all to check out Clyde's work by visiting the full show notes on my blog at mattpainphotography.com and of course by visiting Clyde's website at clydebutcher.com. I'm always forgetting to mention all the other ways that you can support the podcast, including using our B&H affiliate link, which can be found in the podcast page on my website. I've also created a free tool on my website that includes almost every single lens and camera that's been produced by Nikon, Sony, Canon, and Fuji. The tool is a great way to compare weight, megapixels and cost and it's a great way to kind of build out your kit to see how much it might weigh and how much it might cost there's a lot more in there too and there are some affiliate links that are embedded in the tool as well to help me out i'll put a link to that in the show notes thanks for supporting the podcast however you can i really appreciate it that's all for now thanks for stopping in collaborating with us and listening see you next week